Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. In Qatar, crowds of fans are jostling alongside the world's media, watching and partying as the World Cup becomes one of the biggest sporting events to be held in a post-lockdown world. But just over 5,000 kilometres away in China, in what feels like a parallel universe, a very different story is playing out. All of a sudden, tens of millions of football fans gluing to their television are seeing all around the world, even some of the less developed countries, walking freely with no masks. People are asking questions, then why are we doing this? For more than three years, China has followed a strict zero-COVID policy while the rest of the world slowly opened up again. Zero COVID means lockdowns, it means mass testing, and it means anyone who tests positive going to a government-run quarantine centre. Xi Jinping's zero COVID policy has taken a heavy toll on China's economy and society. And then, last weekend, something seemed to snap. Tonight, rare scenes of open discontent. Video showing protesters in Xinjiang fed up with China's zero COVID rules, chanting, end the lockdown. All of that really culminating Saturday night into Sunday morning with uh, multiple vigils and protests, often spearheaded by young people on university campuses. We're talking about the first time ever since 1989, we see such large-scale involvement of students across the country. But how does rebellion work under the watchful gaze of an authoritarian regime? What do these protests tell us about modern China? And now, as the government has been forced to ease restrictions in some parts of the country, what does it mean for President Xi's grip on power? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, China's protests, a view from the inside.
This is Didi Tom. I'm the Beijing-based correspondent for the Times of London. So I've been covering for the paper since 2017, and then for the whole time when the pandemic is here in China. And what a few years it's been! At the moment, we're hearing about protests across China. Take us back to the first moment when you heard that protests were breaking out. For you, as somebody who lives in China, who reports on China, what did you think? How unexpected was that? I was not expecting that. Probably most people did not see that coming. What I saw and what I felt on the ground was starting, I think, Friday and the Saturday, public discontent. It was palpable. The public anger, which had been simmering for quite some time, started to become more vocal. It became louder. And the immediate trigger was the death of ten people in a high-rise fire in Urumqi, in the far west region of Xinjiang. A furious crowd gathered round the government offices, convinced that COVID restrictions had stopped the fire engines from reaching the blaze. Authorities denied that, but the story was a tipping point. That city has been under lockdown for more than a hundred days, and then there、yeah. was a group of photos that were very popular. You know, talking about from spring to summer, and then to the autumn, you see those cars parked exactly in the same spots, which means their their owners,、wow. right? They have been locked down for that long. You know, I have a friend who was living in Urumqi. What he said was, you know, those cars have been sitting idle for so long; they did not have the power to be turned on. They were blocking the road. So they could not be removed fast enough for the fire rescue people to come in, and they were also talking about because the lockdowns, the fire escape routes, they were blocked. So it was very likely those people they were not able to escape, and so people became very angry. I think at that point it was sort of the anger that had been building up over the past three years reached a level. It was the last straw, right? You know. And the people they start to say, okay, you know, we have those cases. We have pregnant women who could not get to the hospital in time, right, because of those COVID restrictions. We have people who needed medicine, medical care desperately, but they couldn't get to the hospital because either it was the lockdown or they needed to have twenty-four hour, forty-eight hour, whatever it is, negative PCR test result for them to even get the service. And now with the Urumqi fire, th- this kind of a public anger just like erupted into action. You know, people also they don't have any other channel to vent their frustration, their anger, other than now actually going to the streets. So as we know, you know, during those protests, people they were holding up the blank sheets、yeah. of paper, right? The symbol of this movement has become white sheets of paper, with protesters holding them up to represent the way in which people are silenced here by official censorship. They were trying to you know vent their frustration online in social media posts, right? But those posts were very quickly taken down, deleted, and then they disappear. So people also were very angry if they could not discuss, if they could not vent their frustration in social media. What else is、yeah. left? So it sort of reached a tipping point. But Didi, it's particularly interesting because you know every time we've spoken to you in the last few years, whether it's about COVID restrictions or whether it's about the missing tennis star, you've always described a world where. For people to even talk about these things in a social context could get them in trouble. It's it's so repressive. So for it to suddenly burst out like this, just explain to us the sort of risks people are taking by taking to the streets. Just how how risky is that? 
In the past, whenever there were those kind of mass incidents, usually the protests are called mass incidents in China, the right police will come in and the people will be taken to police custody. And depending on the nature of the protests, those people will be warned. Usually they will be released, but then they will be told to go home and then not to cause any trouble. But the party has been very diligent in making sure those things do not happen in the first place. The party is very careful about organization, mobilization. So if you're looking at the the censorship rules, right, if this post has the ability to mobilize, the censorship will be extra tight to say, look, those posts need to be censored, need to be reviewed. They don't want anything even to start small because it can very quickly snowball. None of this explosive stuff featured on the evening news. Lead item, a piece about the launch of a Chinese spacecraft. Final item, COVID infections arising, the government will prevail. And in the last three years, it has become much harder for people to gather to protest because China citing the need for the pandemic control. China has introduced this health code. And then they start to require people to show the PCR test result, the negative one, for them to go anywhere. Like even for me to come to my home, I have to have a green code and a negative PCR test result within 48 hours just to go home. So now these days I have to go get tested. Otherwise, if I leave, I won't be able to come back to my home. It has made it very hard for people to to gather because they can very quickly stop you from entering a certain place. I think a lot of people probably were surprised you know, this should even happen. It's a sign people have already reached the end of their rope. Like, this is too much. Something has to be done. Just how widespread are the protests? What do they look like? How big are they? So at this point, I have to go by the images being shared on social media, on internet. The size varied, you know, from city to city. Maybe like dozens in one place and then, you know, hundreds in another place. And I heard there was one protest in the southeast city of Xiamen. There were only three people. So that might be on the small size, on the end Mm. of being small. But Mm. then in Beijing, actually, the protest took place not far from where I live. And I did not go, but a friend of mine, she did go. She said there were so many people she could not even get in. There were a lot of spectators, apparently. Like, they went there to see what was going on because it was so unusual. Clips very quickly came out and then we could see you know, what people were doing. And in Beijing, they were calling for an end to the PCR testing scheme and they were calling an end to the to lockdowns, right? Beijing police officer was telling them, hey, don't say something like this. You cannot say something like this. And then they mm-hmm. say, how about we want a PCR testing scheme? How about we want lockdowns? So it was the same thing as holding up the blank sheets of paper. Hey, <laughs> we can see, but we all know it was being done very sarcastically. And Didi, that's because they are so heavily policed and you can understand the fear. And yet, at the same time, in some of those protests, we have actually seen people not just calling for an end to PCR tests or to COVID restrictions, but calling for Xi Jinping to go. Did you ever think you'd see that? It was pretty, let's say it was radical, right? <laughs> Usually, I think in in China, people, they know if you really want to gather to chant some kind of slogans, you want you to keep it to the issue, right? And so more likely you will get the solution and also to protect yourself. But I think a lot of people starting to realize, you know, the problem lies with the system itself and then the problem lies with the leader himself. And that was surprising for someone to to make that cause. (laughs) 
Over the weekend, an unknown number of protesters was arrested, including the BBC's cameraman, though he was later released. Most of them, more likely, they will get the they will be lectured, right, and they will let go. But I'm not sure about those people who should be leading the cause, calling for the removal of C. That's very risky. And then if they should be detained and arrested secretly, I would not be surprised. And are you beginning to see that? Is there a crackdown going on now? And, and are people scared of what might happen? There's no way that you can confirm if someone is being detained, arrested for shouting those slogans. Let's go back to more than a month ago when this one man, he had this like one-man protest in Beijing, right? And his name is identifies Peng Zhaizhou. There were two big banners hung over a busy overpass in Beijing, and one of the banners reads this, go on strike, remove dictator and national traitor Xi Jinping. So he was the one who had the banner calling for Xi's removal. That was in October. So he was taken away by police. And then we have not heard anything about him since then. So the whole thing has been totally censored. I think people were trying to find out what has happened to him, and we just don't know. The same thing to the tech man, right? Probably you know about the 1980 Tiananmen Square, the tech man. One man alone, of course, can't stop an army. Except for a moment, that's exactly what happened here. For three minutes in the middle of the day, an army was stopped by a man who stood still. More than 30 years, we still don't know who that person was and what has happened to him. We just don't know. Just as you don't really know what's happening in terms of the crackdown because it's not being reported, and it's very hard to know about the protests around the country because, again, you're relying on videos. Just give us a sense, in China, how is it being reported? How much are you hearing on the media? How much are you able to see on social media? In China, like state media, nothing as if those protests never happened. There was a press conference and I was looking for any kind of clues and signs that they knew about the protests over the weekend. No, nothing. They put such like a straight face as as if nothing had happened. And the social media, no, nothing here. For me, usually Twitter is a very good source of information. Like, Is Twitter quite free in, in China? No, you have to have a VPN. Usually Twitter is not accessible. I don't think the Times of London, our website, is accessible in China without the VPN. So you need something to trick the uh, the internet into thinking you're in another country, you're not in China. Right, you use the proxy, the virtual proxy VPN network, right? To yeah. circumvent, you have a new IP address, like as if you were outside China. For me, just because the nature of my job, right, I do use VPN on a regular basis and I can access Twitter and Facebook and, you know, but for most of Chinese people, actually, it's a hassle. There have been reports of people who are being arrested for offering the VPN services or posting to Twitter. So it's still risky. China has an army of cyber police officers who are tracking what people are posting on the night of, on Sunday night, there there were posts in China's social media about the protests, but they disappeared very quickly. But it was enough time for people to know what was going on. Now, two days later, right, you know, those posts, they don't exist anymore, but people, they will say, huh, okay, what's going on with uh, the white sheets of paper, right? And just yesterday, I was at the metro station and I overheard two women actually talking. One woman said, hey, do you know they were like protests, you know, in Shanghai, Beijing and Wuhan last night, and people were holding up blank sheets of paper. So people, they know. 
but they talk in this sort of hush and then a little bit kind of encrypted way, right? But at least the message is getting out. Like people, they know something happened. They may not know the details. They may not know how it happened, but they had some kind of inkling something happened. But still, it remains really hard for the message to spread because the flow of information has been obstructed, has been stopped, right? And people may know what's going on, but they don't know really what was going on. They did not know the full picture. And then the party can come in to say something like, oh, there were foreign forces at work trying to stir up trouble in China. Would that be believed? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So, yeah, propaganda actually does work. We can talk about people being very smart to invade the censorship, right? And then they can still think for themselves despite the propaganda. But let's admit it, you know, censorship and then propaganda, they do work. And then the party will blame on foreign forces as it did, you know, with the Hong Kong protests. Chinese pro-democracy demonstrators have taken to the streets in Hong Kong, and the Chinese media, state-owned media, has said that it's all the fault of the Americans. It was the foreign forces who did not want to see the rise of China, so they came here with agents to stir up trouble. So, like, the protests in Beijing, it occurred along the river, it's called the Liangma River, and it's in the embassy area. So people started to point out, look, it happened in the middle of the embassies, right? So of course they were doing this for the embassy, for the foreigners to look. And then someone used to say, why do you think, you know, it's happening at night? Because it's daytime in the West. So they're actually doing this one for their bosses in the West. Amazing. <laughs> That's how it's being interpreted. Coming up, how do these protests compare with Tiananmen Square? And we'll hear why a bizarre new trend involving cardboard cutout dogs might have contributed to this latest cry for change. That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Christina Lam. I'm chief foreign correspondent of the Sunday Times, and I mostly cover conflict around the world. I particularly focus on what happens to women in war. And the reason that we can do this kind of reporting is thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. So please subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Thank you. 
I'm the outside world. We're all looking at these protests, and the first thing that comes to mind is Tiananmen Square. On the streets leading down to the main road to Tiananmen Square, furious people stared in disbelief at the glow in the sky, listening to the sound of shots. There was confusion and despair among those who could hardly credit that their own army was firing wildly at them. The people in China, you know, I know that it's quite hard to even Google that term. What are they thinking of? When was the last time they remember big protests? And how much does the shadow of Tiananmen Square still linger over people's everyday lives now? I think for the older people, they probably would link what was going on on Sunday night over the weekend to, you know, the Tiananmen. They probably are making kind of comparisons. And then we do see similarities. This time, actually, you is like we're also seeing students, the students of those those two very prestigious universities, Peking U and the Tsinghua U. And then they gathered to protest. It was the students at the Peking U who started the 1989 Tiananmen Square movement. And so ever since then, I think authorities, they were particularly strict with students the restrictions are, are much tighter to make sure the students are not going to gather. So I've personally, I felt until now, the Chinese college students have become very apolitical in the past 30 years. And this is surprising for them to gather because they have suffered under this zero COVID policy. In the past, probably in the last decade or so, you'll have factory workers gathering, demanding better pay or something or better working conditions or you had local residents have protests against environmentally unfriendly or toxic projects like the chemical plants. So that Mm. was not uncommon, right? We just had not seen any involvement of students on this scale. We're talking about the first time ever since 1989, we see such large-scale involvement of students across the country. And of course, memories of Tiananmen Square will also evoke memories of the crackdown back then, which was brutal. I mean, are people worried about that? Does that still live on? Yes, I think people are talking about the possibility how Beijing is going to respond. What I see so far is, of course, the censorship has come in very quickly to make sure people don't know about those protests. And I'm sure they're making efforts to make sure those protests are not going to repeat themselves in the coming days or this coming weekend. I'm not sure if those protests will continue for much longer. And if that's the case, those protests, they die down. There's no need for Beijing to to come in to to do any kind of crackdown. At the same time, it will allow Beijing some time to tweak or to ease the restrictions. Hey, you know, we're going to change our policies. We're going to change our approach a little bit. So the lockdowns are not going to be so harsh. The officials from the National Health Commission have come out to say, look, you know, if there should be a lockdown, it should be lifted as soon as possible. COVID restrictions have been eased in some Chinese cities after a wave of protests against the lockdowns. In the southern city of Guangzhou, temporary control orders have been lifted in about half of the city's districts. So you see those kind of wording to say, look, we hear you. We're trying to do something about it. The Chinese people want to open up. But before that, the party may be just like, we don't want those excessive control measures to disrupt people's lives. We're doing what we can do. And if the party has come to soften its stance a little bit, right, and people may say, oh, look, maybe we should give the party another chance. And it's not the party's fault. It's those like local officials who are you know, not following the directions correctly. Yeah, so it's a good way of, of taking the blame away from Xi Jinping and 
attributing it instead to local officials. I mean, for him, how damaging has this been? He's just had this big power play at the party congress. We know that he's consolidated power. What does he do? I think his position is still very secure. Even if, you know, there are calls for his resignation, right? The scope is limited. The party can come in to do some kind of damage control pretty effectively for it not to spread. And then, again, I still don't think the conditions are mature here in China for a um, more widespread call for his resignation. The members of the public simply just do not have that power. So when we're talking about those protests, right, they are centered in major cities and on university campuses. But, you know, there is a large rural population and the Chinese population is very segmented. So it's very hard for them to actually come together. I have studied the different kind of groups. And I think the conclusion is the nation, the whole country, the population is so separated it's very hard for them to come together to have a unified approach, a call that can actually force, you know, Xi to step down. And I think mm-hmm. he still enjoys enough support among the public for him to keep his position. And even if people, some people are not happy with him, there's nothing can be done because he has the control of the military. And then he's surrounded by it all his lawyers, there's no one who can challenge his authority. Mm-hmm. And then the state security apparatus is still very powerful to handle what we have seen so far. It's a start, but definitely I don't think this is the moment that will bring about changes. I doubt it. This isn't the end of she. But Didi, you did say you haven't seen anything like this before. People have to think back to 1989 to think of widespread protests like this. For this younger generation, even if these protests are now subdued and the authorities make them go away, has something cracked? Has something shifted? I think that's fair to say. I think, you know, for this generation of young Chinese students who had grown up in a relatively well-off, you know, environment, right? They grew up when China was becoming rich. They don't remember the days when China was poor. They always thought China was a very strong country. Like, we are on equal terms with the U.S. because we have money, right? We're rich. So this generation, until now, I always felt like they're more likely to be patriotic. And now they start to think, huh, maybe we should have some kind of political demands. I think it's political awakening for them. And then this is a really interesting generation of students because, you know, they have spent three out of their four-year college life under some sort of a lockdowns, right? And then Chinese students, they have actually suffered more than the regular people. So they have been taking online classes. Once they come into a university campus, usually they're not allowed to leave because they're sort of being managed in this like closed loop. And in the last few weeks, we started to see reports coming out of Chinese universities where the students, they start to keep, you know, cardboard pets. They don't have a social life, right? Or their social life has been so unusual or abnormal <laughs> that they started to make a pet, cardboard pets. They cannot keep real pets. Cardboard pets. Right. And then they're walking the dogs, the cardboard <sighs> dogs. They have names. Didi, that sounds dystopian. <laughs> 
they buy accessories for them, the paper dogs, right? The paper, whatever, the pets. And then they will walk those like cardboard dogs on campus and <laughs> they will walk those dogs <laughs> to do something. And there's another kind of interesting report that came out of the the universities. So like students nowadays, they like to crawl on the ground as a way of exercise. If that's a new form of exercise, people are like, wow, okay. So this is what the pandemic has driven them to the point, like they have found kind of entertainment or whatever. This is a way for them to handle with the stress, the frustration with those like lockdown measures. And then so people say, what's going on with those students, right? Shouldn't we be worrying about their mental state? And I think that's a like very legitimate question is, you know, the pandemic has done damage to people's mental health, right? And then, of course, you know, those like college students, they're no exceptions. This is the first time they sort of know how the society works coming out of high school. They start to realize this is what the real life is about. So I think this maybe is the pandemic generation. Maybe they're going to be very different from the previous generations of Chinese students. That's so interesting. And if for the first time in their lifetimes they've actually seen protests happen, is the genie out of the bottle? Is that something that might come back the next time they're frustrated? I think, yes, this is probably the first time they're sort of, as I say, you know, political involvement on this scale probably is the first time. You know, I mean, it's too early to tell if the genie is out of the box. Maybe the party is powerful enough to put it back in the bottle. Who knows? <laughs> I just don't know. I just, it's too early to tell. It's just one weekend, right? And then we want to see in the coming weeks and the months and maybe years if think how things are going to change. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Didi Tang, the Times Beijing correspondent. You can find all of Didi's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Priyanka Deladia. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.